Welcome to the AGA Podcast, where we bring you small talk on big topics from within the world of gastroenterology. Thanks for being with us. Now let's get started. Special thanks to Medtronic for their support of AGA's innovation programs, including today's podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another exciting podcast episode of AGA's Small Talk Big Topics podcast. I'm Nina Nandy, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, C.S. Say. Hi, Nina. Hi. We're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Amrita Sethi. She is the Director of Interventional Endoscopy and the Program Director of the Advanced Endoscopy Fellowship, also the President of Women in Endoscopy and Associate Professor of Medicine at Columbia University Medical Center. And we're also joined by Mithili Prabhu Pratapati, who is the co-founder of the MGH House Staff Innovation Studio. She is a third-year resident in internal medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School. So welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, we're so excited to have you guys here. And I know you guys have wonderful credentials and lots of work with CJIT. Want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your career path in your own words? Sure. I came back to New York, which is where I'm from about 12 years ago now, and started my current position at Columbia and have really developed in this program here and developed the interventional program Um I had some great mentors, including Dr. Chen at University of Colorado in Denver, who was a great visionary, um, who unfortunately passed away, and as well as Peter Stevens here in New York, who really built this program in the beginning. And I was really honored to join him. Unfortunately, he also passed away. But since that time, I've really, I think, helped to build the program and bring in some new technologies and innovation like third space endoscopy and therapeutic EUS and kind of taking on new positions even outside of Columbia in societies such as AGA CJIT, as well as founding Women in Endoscopy. And I'm actively involved in the NYSG, the New York Society of GI, um, if it currently serves as their president. So, Well, I definitely want to hear more about uh, women in endoscopy, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And I'll turn it over to Dr. Patapati to introduce herself. Great. Thank you so much. So I am currently a third-year medicine resident at Massachusetts General Hospital going into gastroenterology. I uh, did my undergrad at Harvard and the medical school at Stanford. And for a long time, I've been interested in innovation and technology and have been able to pursue that throughout my training. I would say pursue that in kind of two different ways. So the first was getting to work on validating several different types of technology. So after undergrad um, at Harvard, I spent a year at MIT in the laboratory for multi-scale regenerative technologies, helping to develop a drug screening platform against the liver stage of malaria. So that was one of the first technology-focused projects that I worked on, um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And when I went to medical school, continue to do that sort of validation work on a uh, device that enables retinal imaging using a smartphone. Since coming to residency, I've continued to work on kind of validation of new technologies and more focus on GI. So we've been working with a company to help refine an algorithm for symptom monitoring for IBS and 
also working with a digital healthcare application that is aiming to improve bowel prep outcomes in the hospital. The second way that I've sort of focused on innovation in my training so far has been through more of an academic lens and trying to understand how innovation can be taught and shared as a repeatable process. And I first got exposure to that at Stanford, uh, where they have the Center for Biodesign Innovation, which sort of teaches the process of innovation with a curriculum. And after coming to MGH, uh, I had met some co-residents who were similarly interested in allowing a space for trainees to continue that interest in innovation. And so we founded the MGH Innovation Studio, which allows residents and trainees to pursue new ideas. Um, we host workshops to help residents figure out how to identify unmet needs, mentoring networks, and project databases so residents can get involved with innovation projects. So that's been sort of a big thing I focus on in residency and then was able to get involved with the Center for GI Innovation Technology through the AGA to explore how to share these ideas on a more uh, broad scale. Okay, great. You're also very accomplished. So we wanted to delve into some questions pertinent to innovation in medicine. Why do you think innovation is important in medicine and how is it integrated into the clinical realm? So for me, you know, innovation, I think by definition is the only way that, you know, you're able to move medicine forward. Um, and I think there's a lot of reasons that it's important. One of the biggest reasons I think is that the traditional model of care delivery where patient comes to the clinic or to the hospital to get any of their healthcare needs addressed is leaving our healthcare system overwhelmed. And I think there's a lot of reasons for this, which include increasing costs, you know, an aging population that's stretching the bandwidth of the healthcare system, growing prevalence of chronic disease, and many other issues. And I think innovation, sort of broadly defined, can help address these problems. My feeling is that innovation is sort of inseparable from the clinical realm. Um, you know, sort of going back to that biodesign process, the first step and the kind of most important step is needs finding. So finding a need and screening a need. And in the clinical realm, that's where you're able to both, you know, identify problems that need to be solved. And that's where the solutions are ultimately going to get implemented. And that's true of both things like products and drugs, devices, diagnostics that make clinicians more effective and also service models that can improve care delivery and make them more efficient. You mentioned um, identifying a need as one of the first step of innovations. And maybe you can walk us through the innovation process, because I feel like in clinical realm, a lot of the times, uh, whether as fellows or attendings, we come through problems and we're like, we wish it could be better. Why is the wait time so long? Or why is the patient suffering? Or why didn't we know this? Or like, we, I think, intuitively sense that something is wrong, that there's a need, but then I would say a much fewer percentage of us is able to take it to the next step, to the innovation step, and actually find a solution, either time or lack of training. Yeah, I think the point, at least the way it's taught in the biodesign curriculum, is to kind of delve deep into that need that you first identify. And that comes by meeting with a lot of people and, and asking questions. So meeting with a lot of different people who might be experiencing that need and trying to figure out where the pain point exactly exists. And so that is a very time-intensive process. And I think sometimes if you don't go deep into the need, then it's hard to actually address it. And it doesn't just have to be meeting with doctors. You can meet with administrators. You can meet with nurses. You can meet with many different people who might be experiencing a certain pain point and get the perspective from all of them. And that, I would say, is sort of the first step. In the biodesign curriculum, the next step is kind of taking that the information that you gather from 
from meeting with those various people and turning it into kind of a problem statement. So like identifying like what is the need and why it exists. And that is actually takes like a very long time to do and putting it into that sort of like a problem representation of what the need is, boiling it down to maybe like a sentence and why, what the barriers are for that need. And I think sometimes the trouble people run into is that if, you know, if you don't actually do that process and you don't take the time to talk to people and gather information, then you might be trying to address something or an aspect of a problem that is not actually the root of that problem, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I would add, I think, you know, innovation to me is sort of a manifestation of progress in understanding and learning processes, whether it's disease or technologies or techniques. And the more you understand, the more you actually can identify where there are gaps. So it's more about gap identification. And I think it's important, you know, as you're coming up in training, for example, I think older models of training where you really have sort of a process dictated to you of how something should go. And like, this is, it's A to B to C to D and don't veer from that process, I think doesn't really um, promote innovation. And it's when you kind of have a little bit more confidence in your understanding of the processes that you can sort of say, you know, this isn't making sense to me, or I think this can be better. And it's not because I don't understand it but rather I'm identifying that there is a, a gap here and what are some things that we can do to close that gap and make things more efficient, make things safer. And that's, I think, the process of innovation in, in a certain way. So you mentioned identifying gaps and unmet needs. What do you both think are some unmet needs in GI that innovation and technology aim to fulfill next? I think the space of artificial intelligence is definitely an area that's very exciting. And it's really an area that does require us to kind of widen our scope of looking at these new technologies that are out there and how are they affecting all processes, not just GI. Um, And I think we've seen from conferences that have been held, and I know there are some special interest groups that, and you know, even, even within CJIT, that this is going to be a very big area within GI. I would say another resection, which is something that I'm heavily involved in, is a technique that kind of has developed from principle to practice. So in the space of resection, I think that is really ripe for development of techniques because we are also innovating in how we train and how we teach these new technologies. And the last area that I think is you know, I think there's a lot of room um, for innovation is in the bariatric, but more importantly, the metabolic endoscopy space, where again, we look a little bit beyond just GI, but rather how we can develop techniques or technology that can allow us to actually affect other disease processes like diabetes, for example. Well, you mentioned CJIT, and I was just wondering if you could define that for everyone. Sure. It's really designed to develop a curriculum where innovation is centered. And, you know, one of the goals of over the years, I've been involved with CJIT now. I was just trying to figure out the timeline, I think since 2016 or 2017. It's really to bring together all of the facets of, of innovation, particularly within the GI space. So one of the big products that CJIT our projects that CJIT puts on is the annual Tech Summit meeting, which is quite honestly one of the best 
meetings that I have ever been to. And it was actually my avenue into CJIT. I didn't even know CJIT existed. But at that meeting, they bring together um, physician innovators, investors, regulatory agencies, and insurance companies. And the year that I went to it, it was kind of co-run by the AGA as well as the Surgical Society. And so, and it really kind of not necessarily focusing on each individual discipline, but rather how we work together in this space of innovation. And since then, you know, the goals have been to develop white papers on innovative new technologies and new uh, techniques, as well as to really grow the relationship between industry and try to encourage physician innovators to get involved in this space and get involved in the innovations process. That's really neat. And I think one of the sad thing is I I was looking forward to the AGA Tech Summit. I think it was going to be in San Francisco in 2020, but then it got canceled due to COVID, just like many, many conferences were. But if it weren't canceled, what would you want it would have wanted the audience to know um, since both of you would have had a big role in the AGA Tech Summit this year? Yeah, I think, you know, in retrospect, how to incorporate digital health into practice would have been a very good thing for the audience to know, especially in this time period. And there was sessions that were planned on that. So, you know, things like web-based treatment programs, patient education centers, remote monitoring, online coaching, all things that can be useful in practices these days. I think as um, Dr. Sethi said, you know, GI applications of artificial intelligence and sort of doing more of a deep dive into that. There's so many different applications for that these days, things like predicting recurrence of upper GI bleeding, detection of cancers, differentiating, pa- differentiating patients with pancreatic cancer from those with pancreatitis. There's there's so many applications of artificial intelligence in GI. And so a deep dive into that, those sessions would have, you know, I think been really valuable. And then more broadly, some big topics that I was looking forward to were also with regards to global health initiatives and global health innovation. As you know, in developing countries, GI and liver disorders are an important non-communicable disease and an important cause of morbidity mortality. And so there were some sessions that were planned on those as well. Yeah, for me, we actually had a planned session um, dedicated to women in innovation. And it was somewhat came out of sort of a recognition that prior tech summits have been very male dominated when it comes to either presenters or panels. And I think, you know, as with many things, that's not necessarily a conscious decision, but really to sort of look into that a little bit. What are the challenges that women face in getting involved in innovation from different perspectives, including physician innovators themselves? What are some of the challenges they have in getting their ideas out and presenting? We were also going to have the perspective from industry as well in terms of their perspective on hearing from women. Are there obstacles to that? And how can they, what are some strategies that they themselves can do as partners with us in helping to improve our access to the innovation space? So I was really looking forward to that. And I think we are we will still continue to work on that theme, even though the last CJIT didn't happen, a tech summit didn't happen. I think with the next one, we're still planning to try to have that conversation as well as on the side and, for example, in podcasts like these and other meetings. That is true that you're saying about women innovation and maybe some certain barriers. Would you feel comfortable sharing right now some unique aspects and how it can be overcome? 
Sure. I think um, as with many areas, I think one of the keys is to really identify mentors. And we need mentors and sponsors in different spaces. We don't, you know, I think one mentor doesn't necessarily apply in all areas. So I would even look to someone like Mithali as a mentor for me in this innovation and digital space. I mean, she's really um, so well accomplished in it already. And so I think part of it is that. And I think our role through the AGA, through CJIT, through podcasts like these, through Women in Endoscopy is really to identify who are those mentors and what are those networks that you can kind of be a part of. I think the other part of it is is that, is networking. And um, really, when you have find, identify an area of interest, making the contact, taking the step, you have nothing to lose by sending an email and requesting a conversation or throwing out an idea, although there are some nuances to to that concept about talking about ideas that I think are important to learn about. And the Tech Summit is a place where they do have talks about getting involved in the innovation space and some of the things that you need to watch out for. I think it's just really important, again, to go back to that concept of um, not thinking of when you have a question and you're wondering that something doesn't make sense, not thinking that it's your lack of understanding, but really that it's actually an expression that you do understand and you understand that there's a need. And then kind of being willing to take detours um, and take know that the path that's written is not necessarily the one that you have to take. And I think that's where um, innovation is. So identifying mentors, just kind of practicing and putting it out there when you identify ideas and not being afraid of failure. And, you know, you, again, you have nothing to lose. It's, it's more about just a learning process. So let's talk a little bit about how to get involved. I know that we had mentioned CJIT, the Tech Summit. A lot of our listeners may not even know that these avenues are available. So who do you think should be involved in innovation? Is it for everybody? And how does one get started? Yeah, I think that every physician should be involved in innovation on some level. Um, and that doesn't mean that they have to invent a bunch of products. But I think everyone, even, even as a resident, sees a lot of unmet clinical needs and can think about how to solve them. As far as how one gets started, I mean, just going based off my kind of own experience for how to get exposure, I think that there's sort of two aspects of getting exposure to the innovation process. The first is kind of more of a didactic component. The second is more hands-on experience. And so for the didactic component, you know, I think that a lot of medical schools and academic hospitals have programs or initiatives to get people started things like, you know, boot camps on the innovation process. We have one here at MGH and the innovation studio has a curriculum as well. And so I think exploring those resources is a great way to get one's feet wet, um, just exploring what kind of institutional resources um, might be present. And that really, I think, can give someone a foundation, but it's not, it may not be sort of enough, at least for myself, I sort of had to take charge of my own learning and that came from reading a lot. Um, so reading books on healthcare innovation, reading blog posts and newsletters from healthcare and biotech news websites, and actually just reading the news can be a good source of information to see what new technologies are getting developed and what's out there. Um, and then going up, going out and setting up meetings with people who you know can answer questions on a deeper level about innovation. So that was sort of one, the kind of didactic um, aspect of how I got interested and learned more about this. And then the second is was more hands-on component for me. So that sort of was 
doing various projects and doing research projects. So I think, you know, doctors in all these institutions have ideas that they want to validate clinically or companies might be coming into academic institutions to try to validate their technology. And so finding a a project and a mentor to work on one of those validation projects is a good way to get started. So I was able to do that in medical school and I've been able to do that in residency and then also was able to find companies in my area who were developing new technology that I was able to get involved with to help sort of refine the clinical process. So I think, you know, some of it was, as I mentioned, tapping into the institutional resources, both in terms of boot camps and didactic curriculum and projects, but then some of it is kind of going, was going out on my own and uh, seeking out these opportunities. So I suppose one of these opportunities is the MGH House Staff Innovation Studio, which you co-founded. Yes. So as someone comes in and wants to be involved, let's say, you know, I have no experience with innovation, but I find it fascinating and I'd like to work with companies and maybe be a consultant on healthcare devices or that sort of thing. What sort of resources would I come across being a part of the House Staff Innovation Studio? How would it work? Yeah. So the the House Staff Innovation Studio for us is it's a pretty minimal barrier to getting involved. The whole goal of the Innovation Studio was to allow a space for trainees to continue their interest in innovation, because I think training can be a very difficult time to carve out the space to to pursue such interests. And so we wanted to reduce that barrier. And so we have kind of more passive routes, and there's more active routes that members can be involved in. So we have um, a noon conference speaker series where we've developed a curriculum to teach some of the concepts of innovation. We also have an innovation elective, which is sort of, you know, self-designed curriculum. So there's some kind of didactic component and case studies that are discussed, Harvard Business School and MIT case studies that are discussed, Mm -hmm. um, and also kind of exposure to different people in the MGH community who are working on innovation projects. And then some of it is a self-designed component. So if, you know, resident wanted to work with a company we have contacts that, you know, who can help them find a good fit to kind of do a rotational experience for, for two weeks and see if they like that. We've also had people who've thought about um, working or shadowing really at a venture capital firm to understand about investing. And so just getting some sort of hands-on experience. So the elective is one one other way to get involved. And then we've done more kind of active projects. So as a studio, we've created two iPhone applications. So one was on helping residents to manage inpatient emergencies, like acute strokes and PEs and, and codes and STEMIs. And so there's we have an app that sort of has all the resources and instructions that one would need to activate to manage those acute situations, which was born out of residents feeling unsafe in certain situations overnight. Yeah. And so residents, kind of, we kind of brainstormed and discussed how can we address that need. And this application has been very, very widely used in the residency. And it's, um, it's a great way to have everything in one place all at once. And then the other application was we have this internal medicine, this MGH white book. It's like an internal medicine guidebook that is usually a PDF that gets released every year. But now we have an iPhone application for it. So uh, that's very widely used by the residency. It's being used by other residencies. There's no reason to not have it be more widely accessible. So um, a few of our members who had coding skills decided to develop those applications. Um, And so for those who really want to work on a project, we do have sessions where like brainstorming sessions where uh, residents can sort of bring up needs that they have and, and sort of work as a group on, a, on projects. And so that's really up to you if you if, if a resident really wants to, to take that initiative on. I'll add um, two more things. 
One is that it, it is really important to learn what your institution has in place in the space of innovation. So I got involved when I had kind of said, oh, you know, what about creating this catheter? And then somebody mentioned to me, or I saw an announcement and a colleague in pathology, cytology, told me about the Tech Venture Center at Columbia and that they held a competition every year. And it was a, it was a joint effort between the engineering school and the medical sciences and, um, and kind of learning. And, and then that led me down an entire pathway to learn about, well, intellectual property is actually a really big topic at most institutions, and they actually have strict rules about that. So before you go down the pathway of, you know, coming up with all these ideas and or thinking of different places that you can, you know, showcase them, you, you do want to learn, you know, what are some of the policies in place at your own institution and resources. I mean, they're not just restrictive. They can also be resources. For example, the tech venture department, if you, I developed a pat, I, I submitted a patent and they actually paid for the patent lawyers to, to write the patent and file it as well as try to get in touch with companies to, um, to try to see if anyone was interested. So looking into what your institutional resources are, are is important. And, and a lot of institutions now have actual innovation sort of, sort of corridors. And, you know, they, they are great resources uh, to be involved in. The other thing is looking into specific fellowships for innovation, um, which some centers have. And it's actually something that we're interested in doing through CJIT is to really encouraging that as an educational process. For example, at the prior Tech Summit meeting um, that was in San Francisco in 2019, we actually had our, our sponsors, it was Boston Scientific and Medtronic, have specific programs for the fellows and, and invited fellows and sponsored them to actually attend Tech Summit. And, you know, even Medtronic actually took them on a tour of their plant and really, I think, got interest going in terms of this is the process. A lot of, a lot of those fellows had never visited industry headquarters and really even seen kind of an assembly line of, of where the devices that they use on a day-to-day basis are made. And I think that's a really big educational opportunity to kind of foster interest. I would love to that's- go on a field trip. <laughs> <laughs> they had uh, sp- scholarships too, I think, as I was actually interested in submitted an application, but then um, found out that it was canceled. So it's really, it's a neat program. Hopefully we'll see it in 2021, depending on COVID situation or maybe 2022. Can you tell us a little bit more about Women in Endoscopy, which you are the president of that organization? Sure. Yeah, it's an organization that I actually founded. <laughs> so um, it's a good way to, to become president, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We started that in also in 2016, I think. Um, and it really came from, it was generated from conversations that I had with colleagues, women in particularly in interventional endoscopy. So when we started it, it was WIE actually stood for Women in Interventional Endoscopy. We started by having a meeting at DDW and really trying to sur- get a survey of, is this unmet need? And, you know, is there value in forming a society where we can develop mentorship and networks? And there was a, a, a strong support for that. And so we did start as an official organization and have kind of transformed over the years as we are recruiting members and understanding what the needs are and to expand it to women in endoscopy. It's actually an international organization because um, 
there weren't a lot of women in who had advanced endoscopy spots. And when I was originally involved in faculty for like live endoscopy courses, it was often noticeable that there was, you know, only one woman there and not a lot of women on the stage in terms of giving talks or performing live endoscopy. So if you really wanted to look at who was out there, you had to look internationally. It's the same obstacles, same challenges kind of around the world. So it's a it's an international organization. Now it's expanded to kind of include all issues in women for women in endoscopy. And it the idea is to really help promote women through education and leadership skills and networking. And we have um, different types of events. We've had a lot of webinars since COVID COVID hit, but we had previously been having events at different society meetings like DDW, for example, or as intended at the Tech Summit meeting. We also now have some committees um, that we've developed uh, to work on different aspects like social media, like um, leadership and mentorship. And we really encourage not only women to join us, actually, I should say, we actually are open to men joining us as well, and they don't have to be physicians. So we actually have a lot of industry partners who are individual members, Mm -hmm. because they themselves recognize that some of what we talk about, the issues that we talk about, actually, they have the same challenges, even within their own organizations, and that um, there's a lot of value in sort of learning what we all are doing in terms of strategies. And again, that network is so important. Just identifying mentors who are out there and also just a platform for conversation and collaboration. And I also noticed that there's other ways to get involved as you can join a subcommittee within the organizations, such as health and well-being, membership, social media, uh, leadership, and mentorship. Exactly. So the first step is to is to become a member at women at uh, womenandendo.org and then to, you know, email us and let us know about your interest in getting involved at a committee level and you know, we're a young organization and I think there's a lot of growing pains starting from scratch, but I think we've come a long way um, in the few years that we've been there and I hope that we will continue to grow as our members join us and tell us what they need. And so that's womeninendo.org. Correct. And how about Maithili? I know your MGH house officer group. Is it open just to MGH uh, residents and affiliates or can anyone join for the innovation studio? For now, it is just open to MGH residents because a lot of what we offer is sort of specific to MGH in terms of the elective and in terms of, you know, we have a project database for residents to get involved, though we have been discussing sort of expanding um, some of the teachings to other institutions. So that is underway. But for now, it's just for MGH residents. I'm pretty sure people will want to do away rotations with you. (laughs) That would be, yeah, that would be very exciting. Boston is such a great place to train and there's so many innovative people and such a young city and uh, there's so much industry and uh, biotech there. So it's a great place. Absolutely. Do you think um, I can pick your brains on AI? I feel like any talk with innovation at 2020, you know, people will want to wonder like, hey, AI, you guys kind of mentioned it as a new thing and GI, is it ready for prime time? Or are there applications of AI and GI that's ready for prime time? Or is it all really just still needs more evidence, um, more experimentation? I think, 
Amrita will probably know more about this than I do, but I, I think that they're, you know, from what I've heard, you know, Medtronic last year announced that they, you know, implemented an AI screening software called GI Genius that is for the screening of dysplasia during colonoscopy and endoscopy for polyp detection and for Barrett's esophagus. So I think there is definitely applications of AI and GI that are happening now. And then some of the other applications for it, I think are still underway, some of which I mentioned before, like identifying people who are at risk of recurrent bleeding and identifying mucosal healing and IBD and things like that. But it is starting to, to actually gain some traction and, and going from being, you know, what was historically a buzzword to, to actually showing promise in clinical settings. Image identification, polyp detection will probably be the first space that it will grow into. But I think there's a lot of work being done by investigators now um, trying to look at areas that where it's very subjective. For example, I'm very heavily involved in the cholangioscopy space and trying to figure out if we can come up with consensus. That we, that's a lot of that's work that we've done over the years and haven't made a tremendous amount of movement in trying to come up with consensus based on cholangioscopic imaging. And I think once we can get that into the AI space or get AI into that space, it'll sort of logarithmically change our ability to diagnose visually and improve accuracy. So that's an area I'm in particular looking forward to. And I think, again, in training, I think it's exciting to see how it can be applied to training processes, particularly as we are going more and more into a virtual space and having to rely on um, online training and conferences and videos and stuff like that. I feel like there's so many great applications. You can even look for buried glands and Barrett's and, you know, how we used to have VLE. And uh, GI is just one of those fields that I think lends itself towards innovation because we're such a technologically, you know, advanced field. There's so many different equipment and stents and forceps and other things that we're using all the time. So it seems perfect for GI. I think the other key is just um, how it will be received that is really reliant on practitioners being open to to change, right? I mean, if you kind of have grown up trained a certain way of this is the way I always do this, whether it's colonoscopy and polyp detection or any other aspect of GI and are not willing to think to sort of consider the advances that are there to make your, our lives easier <laughs> and our job better um, or give us better outcomes. That's the issue is um, once once we do get them in place, how are we going to use them and how, how will it be received? And I think that's where it's really important is as we evolve in the innovation space and putting products out there, we also need to think a little bit about how we're going to communicate the value to our colleagues and get them to start to adapt or adopt these changes. I think you're totally right, Rat. And sometimes some people just want to use that, hey, that's a new cool thing. Others are like, no, I've been doing this, you know, the same way for the past 20 years, so I will not change. So I feel like you get both ends of the spectrums amongst the uh, GI group. But it's really exciting time, I think, listening to you too, to see what innovation is down the pipeline, what it takes. It sounds like the barrier to entry is quite low, really. And they can reach out to you if someone has an idea, someone just wants to get involved. So you two are good starting places, um, maybe even serve as mentors for some of our listeners who might be inspired. So I think with that, um, I think we can probably wrap up this conversation. Any last thoughts you guys want to share? Nina, Amrita, or Maithili? 
I really just want to thank you for the the opportunity. You know, in a way, I was asking earlier before we started about what this podcast kind of was all about. And in a way, it's it's innovation of its own kind, right? And really finding a format to get some of these conversations and messages out there. So um, I lo- I'm very excited about the space and looking forward to hearing from individuals who want to be involved and, and just kind of seeing it, how it all develops and how careers develop. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Speaking of which, what is the best way for our audience to listen to? We usually end with like your Twitter handle, but probably not everyone tweets. What's the best way to reach you to? You can email me at as3614 at cumc.columbia.edu. My Twitter handle is Dr. Sethi NYC. Is that what it is, a Twitter handle? So Dr. Sethi NYC? Yes. I do have an Instagram one as well, but I don't actually know what that is, so don't use that one. <laughs> yeah, same for, so for me. You can email me at um, mprabhu, M-P-R-A-B-H-U-1 at mgh.harvard.edu, or my Twitter handle is at mppatipati, M-P-P-A-T-H-I-P-A-T-I. Sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on to podcast with us both this evening. We want to thank you so much for your time. This is a great platform to reach so many listeners, to get them involved with the CGIT, with the Tech Summit, with womeninendo.org. We feel that you are so accomplished in your young careers and you've done so much and we are so grateful and happy to be able to speak with you. Thank you. I also want to put in a plug for um, Tech Summit 2021, which will happen virtually in April. So um, look, so keep an eye out for those announcements. But we're really excited about the program that we'll develop then, and as well as other programs that we'll put out through CJET. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Thank you both so much for having us. You're Thank most you. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the AGA podcast. To reach us, please email us at agapodcast at gastro.org or follow us on Twitter at MJWitsonMD, at NinaNandyMD, and at CSCMD. Podcast production done by Resonant Recordings. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening and have a good one.